Lynn Hiles Ministries presents That You Might Have Life. He said he didn't send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might have life. So Jesus came that we might have life. The Bible said in him was life, the life was the light of men. The more light you have, the more life you're going to have. So you can have peace was on me. That's why it's called the gospel of peace. He took your punishment so you could get his peace. He took what you had coming so you could get what he has coming. All around the country and around the world, people just like you are awakening to the good news of Jesus Christ. What God wanted to do was release the kingdom of God in your life until the joy and the peace and the righteousness of the Holy Ghost would so fill your life. I don't want to just make heaven my home. I want to make my home like heaven. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to thank you for joining us again this week on the television program. I trust that you have been tuning in every week as we have over the last several weeks uh, been teaching a series on the first part of the book of Revelation. Uh, if you have missed some of those programs and you're enjoying what you hear, they are archived on our website at lenhouse.com. That uh, website will be on the screen in just a few moments, or you can go to YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube page and you can view them uh, at any given time that you'd like to on your computer or your smartphone. Uh, you also, I might ought to mention to you that TBN has an app that you can download to your smart television or to your smartphone and it will stream live to you all 10 of TBN's channels so that you can get our program even if you don't get it on cable, you can get it uh, via the web. So there's a lot of different ways and outlets for you to receive our program. You can also sign up for our podcast at uh, iTunes and that is a podcast of what we're teaching on the book of Revelation and what we've taught uh, uh, on the television program. I want to say uh, before I get into the Word though also today, uh, I, I deeply, deeply am grateful to you, our television audience. We have, we have now aired probably, well I'm sure we've aired over 200 programs uh, in the last four years. We are getting ready to go into our fifth year, I believe it is, of, of broadcast, television broadcasting. And it is you, our faithful partners, who have enabled us to literally reach around the globe with a deeper life message of the grace of God and the present reality of the kingdom. For that we are forever grateful and we want to say thank you for that. If you haven't partnered with us before and you'd like to, uh, we certainly welcome that as we receive partner base. We certainly will expand and continue to share the gospel. But we want to say from the bottom of our hearts as this year comes to an end and all of us here at Lenhouse Ministries, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I believe other people will thank you as well because the reports have been phenomenal from all over uh, that are watching the program and being blessed by it. Uh, today's program, now you, you probably, if you've been watching for the last eight weeks, my son Jeremy has been on the program with me, but uh, today and for the, probably the next couple of weeks I'm going to be by uh, myself. I'm going to be alone. Uh, Jeremy's baby did arrive. Uh, you, you heard him talking about that before. So grandbaby number two has now arrived and Aspen Tabor is now on the scene and so he's uh, kind of been very busy with this new baby for right now. So, but you will see him again on the program. Uh, we begin to share, like I said a couple of weeks ago, we decided to kind of delve into the book of Revelation from, from a, a perspective of redemption. I, I believe the reason God put this book at the end of the Bible is because it is literally the summary of redemption. 
And by the time you get to the last book of the Bible, you should have kind of figured out that uh, everything that you see in the book of Revelation is not necessarily something you'll see in the local newspaper, but it's something you'll find in the rest of the Bible. One of the principles that we've taught in learning how to, I believe, rightly uh, divide the word of truth is that we, you must compare spiritual things with spiritual things. What do you mean by that, Dr. House? What I mean is that if we compare the book of Revelation with natural events, we could make this book fit just about anywhere, anytime, any time slot, somewhere in the world there's events that are going on. But when I, when I begin to compare spiritual things with spiritual things, let me make clear what I mean by that. In the first book, uh, uh, in the first chapter of the book of Revelation, for instance, uh, Jesus reveals Himself as the one who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. For years, I used to think, well, uh, you know, this candlestick and these golden altars of incense and these golden censers and all of this stuff that you find in the book of Revelation must be really pretty furniture uh, in a planet called heaven about three miles south of Mars. Uh, and, and the truth of it is, is that actually this candlestick, these golden altars of incense, all of the furniture and all the imagery that you see in the book of Revelation, you can find it in other places in the Bible. In other words, you go back to Exodus, Leviticus, and, and uh, Deuteronomy, and you're going to see things in there. You're going to find the seven golden candlesticks. You're going to find the table of showbread. You're going to find the altar of incense. And what that simply shows me is that those things, according to the teachings even of Jesus, were uh, things that were a shadow of the, of the reality that He was. Jesus was the reality. In other words, let me say it like this. When He walked on the road to Emmaus, that seven-mile journey after His resurrection, the Bible said He, beginning with uh, Moses, began to tell them all things concerning Himself out of the Law and the Prophets. So I think what He probably did was He said, you know, you remember when uh, Moses took a lamb out from among the sheep and the goats, and uh, He delivered you by the blood of a spotless lamb? I am that lamb. Uh, that's what Jesus was saying to them. In other words, that was a physical uh, icon or symbol or type and shadow, if you will, to give us a revelation that one day there would be a greater lamb of God that would come that would not just cover sin, but would take away the sin of the world. And then God told Moses, I want you to build uh, in the earth a, a tabernacle. I want you to make this tabernacle, uh, and, and I want you to do it after the pattern that I showed you in the heavens. And so, you know, when God began to tell him, He, he gave him patterns for uh, the, uh, the golden altars of incense. He told them the, the dimensions for uh, the arcs and for the uh, brazen labors and for the candlesticks. And one of the things that you see is that if you come to the book of Revelation, and I've already introduced this really way back in the beginning, but I want to review some things because our audience continues to build. When you see the book of Revelation open, and the book of Revelation said, I saw a lamb as if it had been slain then what you do is that you realize that this lamb in the book of Revelation, as if it had been slain, was not a physical barnyard animal. I mean, anybody with any kind of spiritual discernment at all knows that in the book of Revelation, this is not a physical barnyard animal that's running around going, bah, you know, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> but it is, a, it is a picture of the true lamb of God, Jesus Christ. 
So when we uh, arrive at that conclusion, what we've done is we have taken a natural spiritual symbol and we have spiritualized it. In other words, we took, we realize, we realize that this is not a physical barnyard animal that's here in the book of Revelation. So what we did was we were comparing a spiritual thing with a spiritual thing. In other words, there are pictures of Christ all through the scriptures that are showing us something about redemption. Now let me just say this, if the lamb in the book of Revelation is not a physical barnyard creature, then perhaps this candlestick is not a literal candlestick. Maybe it is what it pictured uh, in the Old Testament. And when we begin to realize what it pictured, because uh, with, with its seven branches, the central shaft through the middle of it was the supply to all the branches. We know that according to the scripture that Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. It, we also we shared this in a former segment, but we, we showed you how that there were 66 ornaments on this candlestick, a knob, a bud, and an almond, and there were 66 ornaments on this candlestick, and there are 66 books in the Bible. Thy word, O God, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's what this, uh, this also symbolized. It also symbolized to us that Jesus said that the seven golden candlesticks are the seven churches. Uh, Jesus would say things like this. He would say, you are the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. So uh, you say, well, how can that candlestick represent the Word and also represent the church? Well, it's very simple. The Word has to become flesh. God is still desiring for that Word to become flesh so that we can become the true light of the world. A candlestick where there is no bushel on it that holds back or covers up the light but radiates the life and manifestation of Christ. Because this book of Revelation was a revelation of Jesus as He walked in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And the seven golden candlesticks are the seven churches. So say it another way. It is a revelation of Jesus to the church, then it's a revelation of Jesus through the church. A revelation of Jesus to you will produce a revelation of Jesus through you. But the hermeneutic that I wanted to set out for you is simply this. If we are going to spiritualize the Lamb in the book of Revelation, we must stay consistent with our principles of interpretation so that when we get over here and we see vials and seals and things like that that begin to open, we don't necessarily think they are bombs bursting in air or scud missiles or Apollo programs or every other idea that people have come up with by applying some, uh, you know, some, some uh, USA Today uh, news article with. These things are really dealing with being interpreted. The, the, the thing that I, that I say, and I, look, we're not trying to think we are the only ones that have anything to say about the book of Revelation, but, but I will say this, this view that I teach is the only view that I know of that the only book you really need in order to understand it is the Bible. The Bible will interpret itself. What you're going to see as you go on through this book of Revelation is that I believe that there are such spiritual dimensions to it that if you use the keys given to us in the Old Testament of the types and shadows that by the time you get here, for instance, by the time you get to the book of Revelation, uh, you ought to have figured out that these things that he, well number one, he tells you in chapter 1 verse 1, these things he sent and signified, signified, or wrote it in signs and in symbols. So he tells you right up front, this book is about Jesus Christ. It's written in signs and it's written in symbols. This is such a powerful unfolding book so that by the time you get to the book of Revelation, it's not necessarily 
always talking about a physical temple. Uh, it, it may be talking about the temple of God that you are. God is unveiling Himself. He's in His holy temple. And so uh, it, it unfolds. I, let me just say this to you as well. I believe that as you look at the book of Revelation, you could literally take the tabernacle of Moses and lay it over this book and, and literally see the patterns all through it. What do you mean by that, Brother House? And let me just say this to you because I haven't mentioned it much, but really the tabernacle of Moses, once again, has almost every piece of furniture in it that you'll see throughout the book of Revelation. And when, when God told Moses, once again, to make this tabernacle, He told him, make it according to the pattern that is seen in the heavens. And uh, He said, if you will build, you know, in other words, He said, if you will build me a house, I will come and dwell with you. My whole life I was raised to believe that God's primary objective was to get me from here to there. And I feel like I almost got to be apologetic every time I preach and explain everything because people misunderstand. But when I say that, I, you know, I do believe that there's a there. I believe my dad is in heaven today. So uh, don't, don't uh, turn the TV off thinking this guy don't believe in heaven. I do believe in heaven. But I believe that what God really wants to do is bring what's happening in heaven to the earth. That's why Jesus would pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And all my life I was raised to believe that God's primary objective was to get me uh, through about 70 or 80 misery here. And one of these days, in the sweet by and by, uh, maybe one of these days I could actually be happy and won't it be wonderful then? The pitiful thing about that is it robs you of the abundant life and the present reality of living in the kingdom of God right now. And so when God, you know, when I began to ask the Lord when I was probably in my teenage years, I said, God, open this book to me. And if you open this book to me, I'll be faithful to tell the people what you said to me. And I have, I have tried my best to do that. And, and even when we teach these things, we, we don't teach them to be dogmatic or to have an attitude or to be a fighter. We simply say, I think this is what God said to me. You've got the human prerogative to eat the grapes and spit out the seeds because there's not one of us on the planet, nobody, that's got all the answers or all the truth, especially on this very difficult book of the book of Revelation. So, uh, you know, we're not trying to set ourselves up as some authority. We're simply trying to tell you what we think God said to us. When I began to ask the Lord to open this word to me, uh, one of the very first things He took me to was in the tabernacle of Moses, which I believe is the grandfather clause of all New Testament truth. Every New Testament doctrine is pictured in type and shadow in the tabernacle of Moses. By the way, we do have a series on the tabernacle of Moses that you can get if you call the number on the screen or you can go to our website and order that. But we have a, 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 a series on the tabernacle of Moses that is available to you. But when the Lord took Moses up the mountain, the Bible said that He showed to him the body of heaven in its fullness wherein was a pavement of blue sapphire, and it was on top of that mountain that God gave Moses the blueprint for the tabernacle of Moses. And this is what He said to Moses. He said, if you will build in the earth what I just showed you in the heavens, I will come and live with you. And that became a profound revelation to me because all of a sudden I began to realize that God's primary goal is not to get me from here to there, but it's to get what's happening there to operate here. That's what 
God put man in a garden in the beginning for to start out with so that that man could have as the days of heaven on earth. The book of Deuteronomy said, God said, I want to give you as the days of heaven on earth. When God brought him out of Egypt into the promised land, he said, I want to bring you into a land that flows with milk and honey. That sounds to me like the good life on every level. I believe God's intention for his people is that redemption will, uh, will uh, afford for us not just a sweet by and by life. That's wonderful. That's, that's great. But I'm going to tell you something that's really settled in my own spirit. If there was no heaven and there was no hell, and I do believe there's both of those, I would still serve God for the present reality of the peace, the joy, and the righteousness, and the abundant life that I'm experiencing right now. I believe God wants every believer on the planet to experience that abundant life. And so when God gave these patterns of the tabernacle of Moses, they were the grandfather clause. In other words, that God said, if you build me a house, I'll come and live with you. The truth of it is, is now God is not living so much in a physical building made of wood and hay and, and, and precious stones or, 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 or wood or, or timber, but God lives in a tabernacle that we are. Now what? Know ye not you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Uh, we are what gives the omnipresent God a local address and a visible expression. God wants to manifest His life and nature so through a corporate uh, body of Christ and through His people that the world will see Him and the world will adore the glory of the Lord as He rises upon His people. Uh, you know, as, that being said, I want us to begin to look again. See, in the, throughout the book of Revelation, you could almost lay the tabernacle of Moses over the book of, of Revelation. Because what happens is, is it starts out in an outer court. It starts out, if you will, by talking about a lamb being slain. When you get over around chapter 3 and chapter 4, it talks about a lamb. I saw a lamb as if it had been slain. In the outer court was where the blood was shed. Uh, in the holy place, uh, or and I'm sorry, in the outer court there was also a brazen laver or a great big basin full of water that speaks of water baptism. We're, we're going to get into some of this probably as we continue to teach the book of Revelation, but you're going to find this brazen laver that was made from the looking glasses of the women that stood at the door of the tabernacle. They took their brass looking glasses and they polished them, they melted them down, and they made a huge basin. And this basin was made from the looking glasses, the brass looking glasses of the women. And then they filled this laver with water, watch this, that came from the smitten rock. Now we know that rock was Christ. And they put that water into that brazen laver and they would, they would bring the sacrifice as they would uh, bring that sacrifice that was sacrificed in the, at, the, at the altar, the blood of the and They would come on into the holy place as they're taking the blood of these offerings and they would, wash the, they would wash their hands, they would wash their feet, and they would wash the sacrifice in this water. And then they would pr proceed on into the holy place. Uh, but as this water would be mingled with blood, so to speak, what would happen is it had a mirror effect. And it would be as if you would, uh, you know, you would have to, when you came and you walked up to this basin made from a mirror, uh, you could, uh, you, you, you would look into this mirror and you'd have to see yourself. Man, I'm getting excited. But you'd have to see yourself through the blood. I believe in the book of Revelation, about chapter 15 especially, it says, I saw as it were a sea of glass. And you know, the sea of glass is not a great big ocean on a planet 
three miles south of Mars, this sea of glass was the brazen laver or the brazen sea or the brazen, Solomon called it the brazen sea or the, the sea of glass that was made again from the brass looking glasses of the women. So when he walked up, in other words, if you could picture it like this, when they, you would walk up to this brass great big basin full of water with the blood of a sacrifice in it, you would have to see yourself through the blood. I believe God is still desiring for a people in the earth to see themselves through the blood of Jesus and what the blood of Jesus has done, that the blood of Jesus washed us, cleansed us, and we identify uh, with that death through water baptism is what this uh, labor spoke of. You're going to come on through the book of Revelation. You're going to see, uh, again, here's another aspect of it. In chapter number one, the church is in uh, the church is walking in the midst of the, or Jesus is walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now watch this. If you go beyond the outer court, in the tabernacle of Moses, there was a brazen altar where the blood was shed. Then there was a brazen laver or the brazen sea, which is the sea of glass. That's where the water baptism took place. If you go beyond that door into the next dimension, second dimension, if you will, you're going to find out in the second dimension there is the table of showbread, there is the seven golden candlesticks, and there is the golden altar of incense. Now what was in this dimension was the second dimension. This is where the oil of anointing flowed from the candlesticks. There are a lot of people who are in the outer court. If I could say it like this, I could also use the term there are 30-fold Christians. They're blood-bought, water-baptized, on their way to heaven, no question about it to me. They're believers in Christ. See, what we don't realize is that people of other denominations are not our enemies. People have different dimensions and levels of understanding and revelation, and they are at different levels. And God is able to bring people uh, to, you know, uh, a greater revelation as He continues to draw with them. Some are satisfied to remain in the outer court. They've been blood bought, they're water baptized, they're on their way to heaven, they got their ticket. But see, I really don't just want to experience that. I want the abundant life on every level. But the next dimension is the dimension of uh, where the oil of anointing flows. I could say it like this as well. All through the book of Revelation, you're going to be able to lay the feast of Israel over this. You're going to be able to see in the first part of it, there is the feast of Passover because Jesus is the true lamb. They sang the song of redemption because there was a lamb that was slain. And John said, I wept because no man could take the little book, open the seals, but uh, I wept much. And John said, uh, the angel spoke to John, said, don't weep any longer. There is a lion out of the tribe of Judah that has prevailed. And he said, I looked and I saw a lamb as if it had been slain. Can I tell you that's the feast of Passover being celebrated. As you go beyond that, you're going to find, and I'm just, I'm just giving you an overview on this one, and we're going to open some of this in greater detail. But you go just another chapter beyond that, and you, you're, going to see, uh, you're going to see the sun, the moon, and the stars darken. You're going to see a fig tree shaken by a mighty wind. You're going to see uh, uh, some things like that occur as, as seals are open. I believe that that speaks of Pentecost. Because at Pentecost, Peter stands up, he said, this is that. And the day of Pentecost, when God was filling everybody with the Holy Ghost, they'd move beyond, can I say it like this? They moved beyond just their blood-bought salvation and their water baptism. Now they're being spirit-filled. They're moving into the Feast of Pentecost. The second feast was the Pe Feast of Pentecost. 
And at Pentecost, Peter stands up, he said, This is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days saith God, I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all flesh. The sun will be darkened, the moon will be turned into blood, and the stars will fall from heaven. What he was talking about when he was talking about the sun will be darkened, the moon will be turned into blood, and the stars will fall from heaven was not physical planets out here melting and casting themselves to the earth. That was also a spiritual term or icon or language that was referring to Joseph's dream that was a description of natural Israel. Because when Joseph had a dream he saw his father Israel the sun, the moon, his mother, and the stars, the 12 tribes of Israel bowing down to him. Now let me just say to you what, what Peter was declaring is God was about to shake on Acts chapter 2 when the power of Pentecost fell, the powers of the heavens were shaken and the sun, the moon, and the stars were about to be darkened. God was about to uh, step out of his relationship with Israel and bring in the Gentiles so that they could be added to the covenants of promise. That's the Feast of Pentecost. As you go on through the book of Revelation, the very next thing that would happen in Israel's economy would be in the seventh month there would be a feast first of all, a blowing of trumpets. Now I don't think it's an accident when you get into the book of Revelation, once you get beyond the slain lamb, once you get beyond the fig tree being shaken by a mighty wind, which by the way also is a symbol of natural Israel, and the wind that shook that fig tree was the wind of Pentecost that blew when there came a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind that blew on the house, and it blew, and uh, I, I preached a message years ago, I titled it Gone with the Wind, because what happened was an old Jerusalem was about to be moved off the scene, and a new Jerusalem was about to come on the scene. An old tabernacle was about to fade and God was about to give birth to a new tabernacle. An old covenant was about to pass and a new covenant was coming on the scene. An old heaven and an old earth was passing away and a new heaven and a new earth was coming on the scene. I know this is a lot of concepts to throw at you. But in the book of Revelation what would follow on the heels of that feast would be seven trumpets getting ready to blow. So that would only make sense to me that would be the feast of trumpets would follow on the heels of the Feast of Pentecost because that would be the first feast that would happen in the seventh month according to Leviticus 23. And what it would do is it was announced the great day of atonement which would be on the tenth day of the month and then in the book of Revelation you would see on the heels of seven trumpets blowing you would see seven bowls of blood getting ready to be poured out. I submit to you that those trumpets were sounding a day of the Lord, a day of atonement and the pouring out of those vials of blood were also was absolutely the Day of Atonement which is also termed the Day of the Lord. What would follow the Day of Atonement in the book of Revelation and what would follow the Day of Atonement in historic Israel would be the Feast of Tabernacles. In the book of Revelation you would see uh, chapter 21, Behold the Tabernacle of God is with men. It would be the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. So what we have as we look at this book of Revelation is we see first of all even as we look back and review that in Revelation the first chapter you see people in an outer court. In the middle of the book you see them in the holy place and the last part you see them in the most holy place where there is a mercy seat, a throne. There is a four square cube, uh, a, a city that's four square. We're about to run out of time. But uh, what you see is that this is absolutely a picture of redemption. I want you to tune in again next week. We're about to run out of time because uh, this book of Revelation is going to powerfully unlock as we study some of these things. 
Uh, take a few moments, if you would, just to call that number on the screen and, uh, and just let us know, even if you appreciate it. We have so appreciated the calls we've received. Uh, just calling and let us know we, uh, that you're appreciating it. We're not trying to gather your information or get stuff so we can barrage you. We just do appreciate it. And if you can, you can sow seed into the ministry and help us. We are deeply, deeply grateful for that. That is what empowers us to take the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of His grace around the world. We're going to dig into this a little bit further as we uh, go uh, on the next segment, but I just wanted to kind of give you an overview of how some of the rest of the Bible fits with this book of Revelation when we compare spiritual things with spiritual things. Thanks for joining us this week. God bless you. This series is about living life in the context of sonship. Jesus is recognized as a son in the River Jordan by his father. Flowing from his identity as a son, Jesus comes up out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit with incredible demonstrations of the miraculous. He introduces to his followers the new covenant idea that God is more than just an austere judge. He is our Father. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Let us awaken to our true identity and set creation free.